Uh, he was late on my end. Weird. You were late on my end. You were both exact, Very interesting. exact same time on mine. <laughs> <laughs> Team partner Andy Samford. How are you, Andy? Good. Good. That's good to hear. Everything is good in the hood. <laughs> and uh, so, as you uh, kind of predicted, uh, our little uh, bonus episode uh, about Kiss um, blew up. Um, so, if any of you, uh, I haven't checked lately. How many listens do we have? Over a hundred. Um, Sweet. So, uh, any of you who listened to that and are now listening to this, um, first of all, thank you, and second of all, this is going to be nothing like that. Um, this week, uh, but we are we're we're going to do another Kiss special before too long. So we are keep yes, your eye out. We are we are absolutely. Uh, I'm going to actually listen to some Kiss, um, which I've never really <laughs> done. Um, but we are joined this week uh, by our old friend, another longtime friend, uh, Ryan Morgan. How are you, Ryan? I'm I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. What do you have against emus? <laughs> um, do you know what it is? Is there like, it's like a like a really shitty version of an ostrich. You know what I mean? It's like a ninety nine cent store ostrich. Fuck them. Poor man's ostrich. Wow. Yeah. I stand by that. Have they ever had emu races before a baseball game? Before no, before probably Aussie. For they probably uh, emu races is. Sounds like a thing Australians probably just do on Friday. Probably, probably yeah. right. Get liquored up and do some emu races. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah, Australians. I don't know if you have Australian listeners, but I, Australians don't know how to act. Well, some of the people uh, <laughs> actually outside of the United States, uh, Australia was definitely the number one country for that uh, kiss episode. Um, I have a lot uh, of friends in Australia. <laughs> well, I, I I don't take it back. <laughs> Uh, so they, ha- they have good senses of humor in Australia, so that's one thing they got going. So, so we've had you on the uh, political podcast before, of course, Ryan. Um, you have not yes. been on this one, so we'll we'll take just a minute and introduce you a little bit. Um, I don't know if you're originally from the Denver suburbs, but that's kind of where you like graduated high school and all that, correct? It is. I'm originally from the Denver suburbs, right? And then. After high school, you went to uh, college um, and kind of roamed the earth for a bit, I guess. Um, eventually landed in New York City, um, and you did your postgrad at Columbia there. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I did undergrad and postgrad in New York. So the roaming the earth <laughs> happened first. Happened first, and, yeah. And at the end of that roaming, yeah, I ended in New York. So I, I, yeah, I did undergrad and grad school in, in New York. And yes, oh, thank you for mentioning, I did go to Columbia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it with the Microsoft oh, notifications, goddamn. Um, and you also, while you were in New York, um, you made some really good music. Um, and here is where I'm going to uh, drop a link in the description for your Bandcamp. Um, you have uh, three EPs there, as well as a full album. Um, and I'm going to play a clip uh, from your full album, Chivalry is Dead. There ain't 24 hours with the news Folks got to stay occupied So we broadcast every bruise Post every suicide Goodbye, Amy, and uh, that's actually very relevant to this episode, um, which we'll get to. Um, 
And of course, right now, currently, um, you're living in Honduras and you're trying to document the human rights abuses of the Juan Orlando government um, for an organization called Witness for Peace. Um, but this is not a political podcast. Um, this is the music podcast. And uh, we're here to talk about your thoughts regarding female pop stars. Uh, but first, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, baseball and soccer. Um, so the Rockies, <laughs> I think it's safe to say, are not off to the best start. Um, they are winning at the moment, if I'm not mistaken. They were last time I looked. Um, They're winning literally right this moment, yeah, against, against the Cubs. Yes, against saved, the Cubs. So that... um, and so they were at 500 coming into tonight. Um, but their run differential doesn't really point to a 500 team. Um, they were minus 25 coming in. Um, it seems like they have a pretty top-heavy offense. Um, and Ian Densman, in particular, has been just awful. Um, and, of course, well, <laughs> yeah. well Colorado is always going to have a hard time keeping runs off the board. Um, I think their pitching has been particularly bad this season. Um, so do you have hopes that they can uh, turn it around and make it back to the playoffs this year? Yeah, what happened to Marquez? I thought he was supposed to be good. Well, Mark, he is good. First of all, how dare you? And um, yeah, first, first I should say that I appreciate you pointing out that uh, I work for a human rights NGO, so that it's established to the people who are listening who don't know me uh, that I'm a very good person. <laughs> that's that's important. <laughs> and then, that's true. Um, that's true. Um, <laughs> just 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 FYI, all these opinions are coming from a very good person. <laughs> Uh, second so of all, so if you disagree, you're wrong and bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you di- if you disagree, you just have to, sleep to you have to you have to look yourself in the mirror and try to sleep at night. That, That's on you. That, that means you ourselves. like Donald Trump and Juan Orlando. I think if you disagree with these opinions, so. <laughs> it's by definition what it means. Absolutely, yes, definitely. Um, you're a racist, probably. Um, the 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 second thing is that it. Um, uh, you're not supposed to say Ian Desmond to a Rockies fan without a trigger warning. <laughs> I apologize for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so that's very hurtful. Um, Carlos Gonzalez. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing: like Cargo is like old and shitty now, but we have so many years of him being that's great true. that it's like that's I true. love Carlos Gonzalez, even though he's old and shitty. Arenado is fucking like, awesome, though. Yeah. Yeah, Arenado. Arenado, I've ever seen. Yeah, no, I mean, offensively, defensively, uh, he's the best in the game. He's won a Gold Glove every single year he's been in the league. You have Charlie Blackman, yep. who yep. has George's own Charlie Blackman, who has emerged as an elite center fielder, uh, which everybody then... saw coming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember when uh, uh, on Fangraphs, Carson. Sestuli. I don't. I've never heard his name said out loud. I assume it's Sestuli or Castuli. Uh He does his fringe fry, five of like prospects that are not in anybody's top prospects, but the, who are performing very well. And Charlie Blackman was constantly on that list. Oh, so I and, guess he, uh, that, he said that. It, yeah, so that turned out right. Um, and then DJ LeMahieu is a Gold Glove winning second baseman who is like yeah, he's hitting this year. Not 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 an elite not an elite hitter, but he's and he's always been a really good contact hitter. He's never had much power. Uh, but those three um, are all like championship level yes. players. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I think Nolan Arnett is the best third base player of all time. Who's better? Defensively, you mean? Well, uh, both. 
I, I think uh, all around. I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm, very, I'm definitely for that argument. Um, well, I, I love Nolan Arnado, but but he's it, yeah. It's only he hasn't been around like quite long enough to be better than Mike Schmidt. Um, yeah, but he's the no. best. I mean, like like there was a very strange thing that we get kind of used to as Rockies fans, where the year that Chris Bryant won the MVP, Nolan. Arnato won both the Silver Slugger and the Gold Glove at third base. Makes perfect right. sense. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so it's like, but the Rockies ah, so, didn't win anything. Yeah. So it's like, so they yeah. play, they, they play, they play this. It's not to take anything away from Chris Bryant, but it is to say, like, so the the overall consensus is that they play the same position, and Nolan Arnato is both a better fielder and a better hitter, and Chris <laughs> Bryant is somehow more valuable because he's on the Cubs. Because <laughs> he's on the fucking Cubs. That yes. automatically gives you more value. <laughs> Yeah. Unless, unless you're, yeah. unless you're Jason Hayward. Then they're well, still worthless. But yeah, there was, uh, I saw on Twitter, now I don't remember who posted it, but they, I saw on Twitter wait, today. Wait, 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 wait. They won okay. the World Series because of Jason Hayward. Yeah, he still sucks. He does. He called them all together during the rain delay. The Indians were about to take it, and his inspirational message was the reason the Cubs won the World Series. Not yeah, any of the things that not, happened on the field. That's fine. He's he still he still can't hit. So yeah, I don't I don't know what uh, being an elite defensive right fielder who can't hit is really worth. Not much. But um, yeah. I think it's not the hundred and whatever million they're paying. No, no. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So but the, but the so I saw this thing on Twitter today where it was a comparison of like every team's batter war after the top three. And the Rockies have negative, it's like minus three or something yeah, already a month into the season. That sounds because about like right. Ian, Ian Desmond fucking blows. Yep. Uh, Trevor's story is maddening. He's one, he's like a very modern player in the sense that he only ever strikes out or hits home runs. Uh, then like, they've been, and yeah, Gerardo Parra and, and Carlos Gonzalez are both done. And then they're giving all these plate appearances to like Pat Valeka and and the thing that's fucked why about isn't it, Ryan McMahon getting a, a why shot? is it Ryan McMahon the everyday first baseman? Why isn't Ramel Tapia the everyday left fielder? Yeah, that's and a why, very good question. And 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 like why is why does Tony Walters ever get to play? Uh, it's <laughs> it's totally bizarre because they're like they're the team is so weird. The franchise is so weird because they're so good at developing talent. I agree the pitching hasn't been very good this year, but it's a, it's a starting five of all homegrown dudes. It's They're so good at it. And now there's like three – and that's the thing. If you're going to be 500, if you're gonna, not going to be a very good team, you might as well do that with, with Tapia and David Dahl and Ryan McMahon For instead sure. of with fucking Gerardo Parra and Ian Desmond. At least they're giving Dahl How long is, at bats how- now. Yeah, but only because only because Cargo got hurt and and Parra got suspended, and then Dahl played his way into the lineup. Yeah. But it's that's absurd that that's what it took. For sure, that's definitely how long, absurd. How long have you been a Rockies fan? Since they since they came into the league. So I was growing up in Denver, kind of newly a baseball fan. I was eight the inaugural season, so I've grown up with them. And yeah, sorry about the '90s when the Braves owned y'all. Like, <laughs> fuck the Braves. I mean, <laughs> fuck, the, fuck the Braves. Fuck the '90s. Yeah. Yeah, it was for, 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 until, until, until the Rockies got swept by the goddamn Red Sox in the 2007 World Series, our like only claim to glory was that we made the playoffs in 95 and got beat by the Braves in the first round. Yeah, um, Braves beat them every time. Every fucking time. And the other thing was because <laughs> of, because of TBS and because the Braves were so good in the 90s that anytime you went to Coors Field, 
to see the Rockies play the Braves, it was a all game Braves, for the Braves. Fan, yeah. Yep, yep. And that 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 happens everywhere with like the Cubs and the Yankees yeah, and the Red Sox. But the 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 Cubs, Red fucking Sox, yeah. god, that that's this is this contributes to why I hate the teams I do. It's like going to all these games and watching the Rockies get their ass kicked. I watched. I went to. I remember. I don't know what year it was. It must have been two thousand two or three or four that I was at a game against the Braves. Fucking Mike Hampton was the starter, so that that was those bleak years for the Rockies or the Braves because he was for the Rockies for the Rockies. Yeah, and uh, I was sitting in the second deck, and Chipper Jones hit a home run that was still rising when it went past. (laughs) (laughs) Larry, I have never, ever, ever hated any baseball player as much as I hate Larry Jones. (laughs) And it turns out he's an asshole too. So. Oh, he's of course a, yeah. he is, but but it's very important. Listen, it's very important that you not get too in the weeds on your favorite baseball, especially baseball players' politics. Oh yeah, like, oh yeah, I was, yeah. I, I I was looking at um like various Rockies on Twitter. This is during last season. John Gray, who just by the way threw seven innings against the Cubs with six strikeouts, a walk, three hits, and one run. Yeah, uh, who's a like a legitimately elite prospect who is still not quite come into it but I, but he's great he's a legitimately great pitcher and I went and but he's also just a fucking redneck from Oklahoma it turns out like I went to his Twitter and all all the accounts he's following are like really right wing that's always good it's like I don't know but what do you expect my, but like, but my, who plays my favorite baseball? baseball player is is Cecil Fielder and he abandoned his family and tried to steal all his kids money so you know yep. what can you do yes yep. you know the most fucked up thing about that the most fucked up thing about that is that Cecil and Prince Fielder ended their careers with the exact same exact number same of home, home runs, runs. Yep. that's like Prince even though Prince was way better to me way better than his dad yeah, oh yeah, easily anyway. but you you would you know how much it would have meant to him to have hit one more fucking just home one run more than yeah. his <laughs> shitty father yeah. <laughs> so uh, the three of us could we could do a whole podcast about baseball uh but we should probably move on uh but uh i do agree with you on this so i'll, I'll let you make the uh elevator pitch here uh for uh larry walker being a hall of famer i mean larry walker, I mean, larry walker was um one Bill James said a long time ago that the players who are the most underrated are the ones who excel at everything. Yeah. Who don't have one particular yep. skill, and that's Larry Walker. For like sure. When you talk about the five-tool player, there are very, very few players that I've ever seen that are as elite at everything as Larry Walker was. Larry Walker was an absolutely complete player. The fact that he was hurt a lot um, diminishes his value. Coors Field diminishes his value a little bit, but like... But but what Larry Walker contributed, and, and especially the more we understand baseball and the more we understand the value of base running and of defense, like what Larry Walker was able to do day in and day out when he was healthy was absolutely elite at every single tool. Like I, I mean, he I was know, Mike I, Trout. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was, when he was healthy and performing at his best, he was as good as Mike Trout. Playing right instead of center, so losing a little value because of that. But yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah, like that dude was. That dude would could steal but forty bases right a year at an eighty percent clip. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that like Larry Walker and and to watch him at his at his peak um, when I was a kid, it it was like, I mean nobody ever 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 wanted to face Larry Walker at the plate. Nope. Nobody. No. No, definitely not. And it was. Uh, and that was even even when he got old and got traded to the Cardinals. Yeah, it was just going to bring that up. Completely shitty. Yep. 
he was the only Cardinal that hit in that World Series against the Red Sox in 2004. Yep. Yeah, and that's he'd kind of gotten that knock, you know, his, because his hit skills by then, with him. By then, people had obviously figured out he that was slower. That Coors Field in definitely inflated offensive numbers, so uh, he kind of got undersold a little bit because of that. But then, yeah, he got traded to the Cardinals, and he's still fucking raked. So, yeah, and we're gonna have an important test again of the Coors Field thing. Um, this year because Todd Helton goes on the ballot. Yeah, he should get in. He should be a lock. Yeah, he's a fucking Hall of Famer. Yeah, he should be a yeah. lock. <laughs> Shouldn't be. Yeah, but question. I, but I, I bet he'll get like twenty, twenty-five percent of the vote Probably. this year, if that. Probably he might eventually make it in. Maybe we'll see. Um, but he definitely. Oh, should I think be. a lot of these guys are gonna make it in via committee in another ten, twenty. Yeah, years. I think so. I think so. I think that's right. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's yeah, just so many players like, right now that have been kind of blackballed. For whatever reason, uh, well, and, we know and there's, the and there's also oh, yeah, a big backup because there's more player, more elite level players, yeah. and not enough votes on the ballot. Yep. So, and there's and there's just a, there's no, I mean, even like somebody who's honestly not at the same level as a lot of guys who got left out, but like you can't you, you can't go through the next twenty years and keep Rafael Palmero out. The dude has three thousand hits and five hundred home runs. Yeah. He's an absolute piece of shit human being. I never liked him as a player, but. You can't keep He's Rafael Palmero out. You can't keep Sosa and Maguire out. You certainly can't keep Bonds and Clemens oh, and yeah. A-Rod and Manny Ramirez. Yeah. I mean, like, like the writers can be on their high horse for, for the 10 years that they want to be on their high horse. But, yeah, eventually you got to put all those guys Yeah, in. I mean. You'd have to. I mean, it's like, it's, like, it's like saying, like, we don't need to put in Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. because they were all on greenies. You know? I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And the, like Barry Bonds is either, depending on how you look at it, he's either the first or the second best, uh, positional player. Well, Mike Trout might get up there. Um, but at least to this point, he's either the first or the second best positional player in baseball history. If you don't put him in, you don't have a fucking Hall of Fame. There's no point in it. Thank if you keep him in. And out. Clemens is the same thing yeah. for pitchers. Yeah, absolutely. He's yeah. arguably the best pitcher who ever lived. So, yeah. Yeah, so keep, so keeping those guys out, but like also all these, there's all these all time greats who are who tested positive or are accused of using steroids at some stage. But like, do you know what I mean? Can you I, I, imagine not voting for fucking Alex Rodriguez? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Know, that's ridiculous. Yep. You have to. Yeah, you, you have, have to. to. You have to. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. He may have repaired his public image enough to where it, they will. Yeah, the uh, the announcing stuff. He's very well liked. So. I guess we'll we'll have to see about that. And he and he and he gave us all years and years of absolute joy. A Rod was oh, as yeah. much fun to watch as anybody ever, for sure. So let him off. Purse slap. Who could ever forget the purse slap? That's a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should say he gave us years and years of joy, and then like five years of the yeah, end. Then he went to like the absolute yeah. fucking hatred. It was all entertaining. Though. <laughs> yeah, but he, he yeah, was a Rod. That's the same. It's the same way I feel about Manny Ramirez and Gary Sheffield. Is like these two dudes were like such a joy to watch, such a joy. Yeah. That yeah. Eventually they have to drop the fucking steroid thing. Yeah, you. Eventually they have to, and 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 the worst thing about it is that the same writers who are on their high horse and refusing to vote for these dudes are the same writers who knew it was happening in the '90s and didn't write it. Yep. Yep. Fuck them for sure. Fuck them. And uh, so let's let's talk a little bit of uh, footy here. Um, so you of course uh footy, footy. you of course support uh Barcelona and they I do. they were knocked out of the Champions League this year uh by Roma. I remember. Yes, I'm sure you do. Uh, <laughs> uh in the quarterfinal in somewhat miraculous fashion. 
but of course, they did also this year win both La Liga and the Copa del Rey. So I think you'd have to consider that a successful season regardless now. Yeah, and they're very likely to become the first Spanish team ever to finish a complete La Liga season without losing. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's st- that's still great. Um, <laughs> and l- looking forward, um, Iniesta, of course, who, speaking of joys to watch, um, he is, of course, retiring. Yeah. Um, they do have a, a... Well, he's going to play in China, so he might as well be retiring. Yeah, yeah. he's done at Barcelona anyway. Um yeah. And they have a ready-made replacement, of course, in my old friend, um, Coutinho, who, again, speaking yes. of joys to watch. Um, but do you worry at all that Messi and Suarez are going to start slowing down here in the next couple of years? Um, even this season, Suarez wasn't quite as good. Um, and, I mean, maybe he doesn't, but you have to think Leo Messi is going to start to age at some point, right? Well, um so for some reason, at this point, uh, we lost Ryan's audio, um, but what he said uh, was that, first of all, fuck Luis Suarez, uh, because he's a racist vampire uh, who only scores YouTube goals and misses the easy goals, and uh, also that he represents a, um, kind of the decline of what Barcelona meant when he first started following soccer. So we'll pick up right after that. Barca played uh, a game this year with no... La Masia graduate, so no Which is crazy team. when you think about it, considering how it's they used fucking to be. Completely, yeah. it's, it's completely crazy because they were winning Champions Leagues with like 10 out of 11, 9 out of 11 being Youth Academy graduates. And they're not giving those guys a chance because they're buying up guys like Luis Suarez. And so, so Luis Suarez, besides being like a very dislikable person... Uh, and besides being very, very frustrating to watch, because as I said, like he misses all the easy opportunities and he can only score spectacular fucking YouTube goals. Um, although he is a great player, I have never liked him. And uh, uh, But beyond that, he represents to me something of like this change in what Barca was during the Pep Guardiola years and the Frank Rijkaard, Tito Villanova years, this like, and way before that when Cruyff, was really involved right. this this club that really builds like a philosophy and um where there was one season where Zlatan Ibrahimovic played for Barca under Pep and Zlatan obviously is incapable of being anything but the center of attention of course and yeah so so Pep Guardiola benched him benched one of the absolute like at that time like five or ten greatest players in the world yeah and that's what Barcelona means. Is like Thierry Henry had to work his way into the system. David Villa had to work his way into the system. Suarez has done that, but there there used to be a an ethos that to to those of us who are Barcelona fans, we get accused all the time of being really smug, and this and it's fair, and this is one of the reasons why, is because there's an ethos. This more than a club is literally the motto. Yeah. And and we think about the role that the club played in the resistance to Francoism, you know, and like of that's course. what's attractive yeah. about it to people like me. And the fact that they were like one, the last big club ever to have a shirt sponsor and then the shirt sponsor was fucking UNICEF. They paid UNICEF money. Yeah, and, and now, now it's fucking Cutter. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, now it's fucking Qatar Airways and they're paying 90 million to to buy Luis Suarez. Instead of giving a chance to Adama Traore or like all the uh, all these great players who have come up through the through the academy, so it, it, so it's so fuck Luis Suarez. 
that's my answer to the first part. The second, the, the second, the second part is about about Lionel Messi and the thing that Messi has done over the last couple of years that has been really, really remarkable. And I think nobody would have thought this um, is he has he's definitely slowed down. He's thirty. He's been playing in the first team since he was eighteen. So um, that's a lot of kicks yeah, to the shin. Yeah, that's a lot of mileage. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and yet. Uh, what he's been able to do in the last couple of seasons is reinvent himself a little so he doesn't rely so much on pace and technique and become more of a playmaker and more of a distributor than he used to be. So I think Messi is absolutely capable of becoming what Xavi is to be for Barca and dropping back a little bit, scoring less, but being the sort of engine on which the club runs. And and we've seen that. like Like he... He leads the club in goals and assists. Yeah, and yeah, and he still bagged uh, thirty goals this year. So you know, and he's, he's, and he's still bagged thirty goals. This yeah, year. he's slowed down a little so, on scoring, but still, yeah, yeah. So, but I think you can't rule out the possibility. And what I see happening with Messi is, and you've, we've seen this transition a little bit now. Is like he's not the flashy player he was when he was when he was twenty two or twenty five, but he is now much more of a playmaker. And so I think that he is able to reinvent himself in a way that means uh, he will continue to be an elite player uh, well into his 30s. Now, that is going to be very useful for Barcelona and not mean a goddamn thing for Argentina, who have relied on him for goals the entire time he's been playing. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, And, of course, he moved from uh, a false nine role, and then he moved over to uh, right winger position, um, kind of inside forward. Um, and I could even eventually see him ending up as kind of a number 10, couldn't you? Absolutely, yeah. And, 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 and when he – so when he moved to the wing, he went back to where he was. When he was like 18, 19, 20, um, that was the Rijkaard years and the early Pep years um, when Barca still had Samuel Eto as like a very classic yeah. number nine. Yeah. And um, – and, so that 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 was the team I fell in love with, which was the one where the the, the three up front were Eto with Messi and and Ronaldinho on either side, and so so he's capable of doing it. But something I mean, something we've seen is just like his spectacular vision, which is something oh, yeah, that's always absolutely. been underrated. Yeah, absolutely. Always has always been underrated about him because there's there's so much of the like, you know, on, like you see on YouTube or whatever, all of the times he dribbled through four guys and. Or, or or hit a shot from an impossible angle. And, like, all of this is the genius of Lionel Messi, who I would say unequivocally is the greatest player to ever play the game. Yeah, I would agree. Um, yeah. But but uh, something that was always underrated about him was his vision and his passing and, and the extent to which, like... This is what I was saying about Ibrahimovic and about Luis Suarez to a lesser extent, is that um, Lionel Messi is... Absolutely the greatest player of his generation, and I think, you know, people are people hold tight to Pele and Maradona being one and two, but I think more and more as he gets older, it's becoming clear, kind of like LeBron. It's like, yeah, you gave it to Michael Jordan for a long time, right. and now we've reached a point where you can't anymore. Yep. Um, that's the same thing with Messi vis-a-vis Pele and Maradona, I think. And and so Messi is, is probably the greatest player of all time, and yet he has always played within the system. Yep. It has never, Barcelona has never, ever been about Lionel Messi. Never. In all the pep years when they won fucking everything, it was, I said at the time and, and would stand by it, that in those years, the most important player for Barcelona was Xavi, not Messi. And so somebody like Ibrahimovic can't stand that. 
whereas Messi has always been like, in spite of his absolute individual brilliance, uh, very much about the team. Yeah. And so I, so I can see Messi adapting um, to a different role in a way that I, you couldn't see with a lot of other great forwards. Yeah. And, uh, um, so I, I think Messi could drop back into the midfield as a number 10, as you say, or even deeper. Like, like maybe Coutinho is not the obvious heir apparent to Iniesta. Maybe it's Messi. Yeah. Maybe you put Messi in the Iniesta role and Coutinho in the Messi role. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, but he's, but he's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's singular. There's, there's. If you if you have a friend who thinks soccer is boring, yeah, watch watch Lionel uh, Messi. Yeah, ha- have them watch Lionel Messi. Yeah, and uh, as you were saying about uh, his vision and his passing and his willingness to uh, sublimate uh, his individuality to the team, uh, I would say that that uh, contrasts rather starkly with uh, the other uh, great player of his generation, the one that he's constantly compared to, uh, of course, which is Cristiano Ronaldo, and uh, fuck that guy. Um. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> fuck that guy. Yeah, M- Messi is Messi is the anti-Ronaldo yes. in many ways. Yeah, I absolutely. I remember. I remember. Although they're both geniuses, Messi is. Yeah, it's that's exactly it. It's their their approach is completely contrary to each other. Their their bodies um, are completely contrary to each other. Yeah, Messi is a fucking like Lionel Messi. Literally had a growth hormone yes. deficiency yes. when he was a kid. Yeah. And and Cristiano Ronaldo is a fucking Adonis. Yeah, he was sculpted and, by God. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, so Ronaldo, but Ronaldo needs everything to be about him. Yep. Ronaldo, when its team is losing in an important game, just starts shooting from wherever uh-huh. as soon as he touches the ball and then crying when it doesn't work out. Yep. Um, whereas Lionel Messi is, Lionel Messi has always been about using his singular genius for the benefit of Barcelona winning soccer games. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, there's, to me, there's no fucking question. And there's, there's a thing I like to say to people who don't know much about soccer, about being a Barcelona fan versus a Real Madrid fan, which is, um, if you want to know the difference between Barcelona and Real Madrid, it's this. Gerard Pique knocked up Shakira, and Cristiano Ronaldo knocked up a Hooters waitress in Florida. <laughs> That is well put. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, how much of uh, Liverpool have you been able to watch this season? Not as much as I would like, because they're so fucking fun to yeah. watch. I've been watching them more in the Champions League than in the Premiership. But of course, um, yeah. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp's teams are always so fun to watch. Yeah, and I, especially this team with, with fucking Salah and Mane, and then Firmino up front. That's like ridiculous. Especially Mo Salah. Um, yeah, most most Salah is special, and I also should give you uh, personally and publicly a mea culpa when I talk shit about the Virgil Van Dyke signing because he's been really yeah, really good. Yeah, he's been amazing actually, um, and uh, I'm just gonna assume here, and I, I think this is a fairly easy uh, question here, uh, assuming they do see off Roma and they are they do have a three goal lead heading in. Uh, to you tomorrow. you can't assume that we went into the we went into the home leg. Or the away leg. Well, yeah, you, I'm, I'm not assuming. I'm just for the sake of our argument, assuming that they do manage right. manage to make it through. Uh, I think you are yes. uh, contractually obligated to root for Liverpool in the final. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Against either Real or Bayern Munich. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's re- and yeah. Bayern's not just dis- it's Real. Ba- Bayern's not 
It's Real for sure, but maybe Bayern and no Real. Bayern still Real won today. Oh, they won. Yeah. Fuck that. Okay, yeah. So yeah, obviously, yeah. I would root for fucking. I would root for the fucking Iraqi Republican Guard if they were playing. <laughs> I mean, that's, well, that's well, a that's a really that's that's an easy one. Yeah. Um, but I would have been supporting Liverpool against Bayern too, and and uh, uh, even though I have a, a kind of an allergy to English teams doing well in the Champions League, which luckily hasn't been a problem recently, no, but no. Um, but this Liverpool team is so fun to watch, and Jurgen Klopp is so likable, and Mo Salah is an absolute joy. So, even yeah, even if it was against Bayern, I mean, honest, honestly, like the only team this year, this year. I'm not a Liverpool fan, but in 2017-18, uh, the only team I wouldn't have wanted Liverpool to beat is Barca. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, they're a joy to watch. Maybe, 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 maybe. I, I know you're not going to like this, but also maybe Man City just out of Pep Guardiola loyalty. Oh no, I, I, Sorry. I mean, you know, I, well, I was a latecomer to uh, football, of course, um, so I don't have those like deep-seated rivalry feelings. Like even Manchester United, I don't hate Manchester United. Um, I certainly don't hate. Well, you should, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially with Mourinho in charge, you know, um, that's hard to like. Uh, but uh, no, I, I actually really like watching Manchester City. Um, they're a really good team, and Kevin De Bruyne is fantastic. Um, and and Pep, and Pep Guardiola is an artist. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the thing. His teams like the 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 way like. That is that is the ethos of Barcelona. That's the other reason that people who love Barcelona love them, apart from the politics. Yeah. And obviously there's some people who are just from there and their dad liked them, but I'm saying like their global support is also because of that, because Pep inherited all these ideas from Johan Cruyff, who's mm-hmm. the most brilliant soccer mind of all time, and Pep is probably second. And he now, finally, this year, has Man City playing in the total Guardiola way, yep. and it's just so fucking fun to watch. It's such a joy. Yeah, they're a great team. So I might have supported, I might have supported City, but 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 this Liverpool team is so fun, and uh, and Liverpool has always been better in the not always always, but since I've been watching soccer, always been better in the Champions League than in the Premiership. Yeah, certainly. Um, and uh, as you were saying, uh, Guardiola kind of took. Uh, Cruyff's ideas and then kind of updated them. And then uh, Jurgen Klopp kind of took those ideas and then was like, what if we do that? Um, but then we turn it up to 11. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, heavy metal football. <laughs> yeah. um, and I guess uh, my final question on uh, football, um, which I suspect I know the answer to, uh, as of right now, and of course we still have a World Cup coming this summer, so it's an definite incomplete uh, as an answer. Um, but do you think that Mo Salah or Messi – Deserves the blonde door. Oh, <laughs> um, if Liverpool wins the Champions League, then it should be Salah, unless Messi wins the World Cup. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That sounds eminently fair. That's how. I, that's how I feel about that. I, I think Messi's absolutely the better player. Oh yeah, for um, sure, for sure. But the blonde door has always been about um, the player. What happened that year? Yeah, and it, and it has mattered very much in the past. Like in two thousand six. Fabio Cannavaro won it, who was a defender. Uh, and obviously when Italy wins the World Cup, you got to, who is it going to be but a fucking defender? Um, and I think that would be the thing. So if Liverpool wins the Champions League, Mo Salah would have my vote with Messi second. Uh, unless Argentina wins the World Cup for the first time since 1986 and Messi finally gets his 
fucking World Cup, yeah. which he needs to cement then, his, to stop the stupid arguments about Pele and Maradona, in which case it would have to be. Yeah, then give it to him. Absolutely give it to him. He, he deserves it um, if they do that. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to make a note uh, <laughs> when I edit this uh, to put it in the description that if you don't want to hear about baseball or soccer, um, skip to <laughs> wherever we're at right now in this. Um, yeah, we've, we've been going for a while forward. on that. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, um, Let's get it. Let, I'd die for Aston Villa. <laughs> so, uh, All right. let's get to some music. Um, and before we get to, uh, the stuff that I, me and Andy were going to talk about, I, I did want to give a shout out to you. And unfortunately, everyone, I'm not going to link you to our, uh, message board. Um, I'm just not going to. <laughs> Thank uh, you. That's fortunately. But goddamn, your thread about, uh, Hoodie and the Blowfish, Cracked View Mirror. <laughs> that is amazing. That is so good. Um, Thank you. And I, and I hope you do actually like yeah, that's good turn shit. that into like book form at some point. That should be published for the public. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, I, I'm working on that. Uh, yeah, so just for, the, for those who don't know, although I imagine most people listening do, um, I am – Writing a series of essays, one essay for every track on Hootie and the Blowfish's Cracked Review, um, also a, a, an epilogue and a prologue. Um, basically, my thesis is that the, f- the so the fucked up thing about Hootie and the Blowfish's Cracked Review is that it sold 15 million yeah. or whatever million. Yeah. That it was it's the 15th it's the 15th highest selling album of all time in the United States. And unlike other shit, like we just pretend it never happened. Uh-huh. Like, Hootie and the Blowfish is not even, like, people don't even clown on Hootie and the no. Blowfish. It's like, it's like a collective Persona amnesia. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yes. And so I, I think, uh, I think, I mean, I, I, anyway, the case I'm making is that the popularity of Hootie and the Blowfish is in its way a microcosm of everything fucked up about the 90s. And, um, like, I conclude the, the prologue by saying we weren't ready for 9-11, we were too lis- too recently listening to Crack Your View. <laughs> and I think that's I think that's basically right. Yeah. And so you if, if you find that in like and it's not see there's no value to me in in doing a track by track and I think you guys have read them, like the the essays are not they're only sometimes really about hooding the blowfish. Yes. So a lot of the times like there's there's yeah, the, my essay about only want to be with you, the huge hit, is actually mostly about the Srebrenica massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the tact I'm taking is to look at like the '90s and the sort of head in the sand, everybody's happy dot com bubble. One, Bill which and one, Hillary. Which one was worse? Which one? Which which one of what was worse? Only want to be with you, or the um, what what was it that you essayed about on that one? The massacre. Oh, well, um, I said, bring a massacre was worse, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, if I had to pick, yeah, I would go with the massacre as well. But I, I would say that I would say, and I do say in that essay that like not the, the pe- people in the United States not knowing or caring that that was happening, and people in the United States at that same moment listening to only want to be with you on the radio are related. Yeah, and uh, and and then this is a, a, a slight spoiler, but the extra fucked up. Oh, I was going to say this real quick. It's not worth it to do a track-by-track review of, like, a third-eye blind record. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they sucked, too. They were also 
shallow, inane bullshit that was too good, like too famous for how good it was. But they didn't sell 15 million copies. That's the fucking yeah. thing. Hootie yeah. and the Blowfish were a fucking phenomenon. Yeah. And that's fucked up. That's very and fucked up. And says something really, says something bad about us as a people that, that everybody wanted to buy that fucking record. Yeah. And, but the worst part about it to me, and I'll get to it later, I haven't got written this essay yet, but the worst thing about it to me is that the last song on the record, there's this little piano ballad called Goodbye that is beautiful. It's really good writing. It's beautifully sung. The melody is like, and it's like a really fucking good song. Interesting. And that kills me. It kills me that he could do that. And just didn't and bother. Didn't. Yeah, just didn't bother. He's very lazy writer, <laughs> extremely lazy. As like the the Bob Dylan stuff, just very amply demonstrated that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the one I, I really liked uh, the most actually was uh, the last one because um, it's a song about his mother dying, and you spent most of the essay talking about how, in many ways, like death is the ultimate subject, and all of our belief systems, ideologies, the way we view life. Um, the way we express ourselves through art all come down to, in some way, grappling with or not grappling with um, the notion of death, which I think is spot on. That's absolutely correct. And he writes this song about his mother's death that is both extremely selfish, um, inward-looking, yeah. totally incurious, and trite. Yeah, that that he that he approaches it with the same shallowness yeah. with which he approaches everything else. And it's like, and so this is like, okay, you have nothing fucking interesting to say about. Politics. You have nothing interesting to say about your relationships with women. You have nothing interesting to say about any topic under the sun. But now, like, yeah, as you said, we're confronting death. Yeah. We're confronting the ultimate thing, the most important fact of human existence, uh, and which is innately really complicated. And, and and you're approaching it with the same shallowness. Like to me, there's there's an inhumanity to that. Yeah, definitely. Um, that I find like disproportionately disturbing, um, and then of course the other thing is that I Hootie the Blowfish's Cracked Review is the first album I ever bought, and I was a kid, and I bought Hootie the Blowfish. I was still like I was going home after school every day, and just getting into music. And the way I did it was I'd go home after school every day. It's like fourth, fifth grade, and neither my both my parents worked, so I'd be home. It'd be like me and my sister in the house, but I'd go to my room, shut the door, turn on the top 40 radio station yep. and sit there yep. until my mom got home. So like for hours, so all these songs are in my head. Like what year was this? This would have been, we're talking now like 1993, 94, 95. Yikes. Um, yeah, the, the songs are absolutely garbage. Um, like what, what was happening then was, um, some stuff that I didn't like as much when I was a kid and now like more, like some of the more like R&B-ish things that were in the mainstream then, like your Mariah Carey's, for example. But then, um, but there was a lot of those like one hit wonder, mediocre pop rock bands, yeah. Dishwalla and, and uh, Dog's Eye View and so on. The Spin Doctors, oh, that kind God. of thing. Oh, God. Oh, God. Like I said, Candlebox. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> but the two, but the two big, big, Seven big Mary records. Queens. Yeah, the huge records were "Cracked Review" by Hootie the Blowfish and "Jagged Little Pill" by Alanis Morissette. And as a result, those are the first two albums I ever bought in my life. And so I, by a total fucking series of weird events, happened to listen to "Cracked Review" on the road from Tegucigalpa to El Progreso less than a month ago now. Um, 
And it was the first time I'd listened to it in probably 20 years, definitely since I was a kid. Because I, like everyone else, erased it from my memory. Cracked Your Few being my first album was just a piece of trivia about myself, but I never revisited it. Yeah, I didn't remember shit about it. And no, but it turned out I kind of did because that was the thing is the driver, I I had challenged myself and said, I bet I still know every word, and I did. Ooh. And uh, this, this and is gonna turn into like the... when Manny was like studying ICP and then became a fan, and soon like, track <laughs> review is gonna be like <laughs> no, that's your number two album. No, it's it's, it's, I really love it. I actually really love it. I don't know, man. It's, no, it's not gonna be like that. It's literally the opposite of that. It's supposed to be track review. I was listening to track review for the first time since I was a child, and I was just like, this is so shitty in such a specific way. That it, I can't understand why it was so popular, and like it offends me that it was popular. Yeah. And I was like, I was very tired. I had been traveling for a few days. I had had, um, if you listen to my episode of the political podcast, a really fucked up several months, yeah, and so I was just sure. like emotionally raw and tired, and just like in no condition really to be reacting to anything except for like I'm. So I'm listening so intently in this state of mind of just pure burnout. Physical and emotional and psychological burnout. I'm listening to Crack to Review for the first time in 20 years. And I'm just like, this is so bad in such a specific way. I like, I have so much to say about it. And so, yeah, so I, I have so much to say about it as in I'm through track six now and I have 11,000 words, which means yeah. I'm either track seven or track eight. My Hootie and the Blowfish essays is going to be the longest. It's going to be longer than my graduate thesis. <laughs> This is important work. It is. And I have to say... I, and I, and it would appeal to a large fan base. 15 million people yeah, bought that album. All yeah. you need is like like 5% of that to buy your Yeah, book. and when, when that was out, um, I I like I was in full in, uh, into grunge and like Radiohead and uh, everything like that by the time um, that rolled around. Yeah, I was... But I did, uh, yeah. I did hear, by, just by chance, um, like last week I happened to hear Only Want to Be With You on the radio and I... I hadn't heard that song in years, probably since it was out. And I, because of that, those essays, I kind of listened closely to it and God, it was so much worse than I even remembered. It was terrible. (laughs) I think, I think, uh, Darius Rucker has found his place as modern country music, black friend. Yep. Pop country's black friend. Well, okay. So on my next essay, I'm going to write about how he was America's best friend, a black friend, because that's, because the next song, the next song that's up on the record is called Drowning. And it is this, uh, like, uh, obviously really shallow, like kumbaya song about racism that he thinks has edge. Because at one point, one of the lyrics is, I'm tired of hearing this shit. And so, ooh, like placing, ooh, wow. and so like so placing placing Darius Rucker in the pantheon tired of, of black shit. artists is so fucked. And and it's like and it's like a black dude fronting this white band who's just like I just think everybody should get along. And like that's the sort of and and if you think of what the the like the kind of racial conversation in the '90s about colorblindness, yeah, and about what, what um, racial conversation like in the progress. 90s, in other words, well, yeah. Why, it, why it, didn't Saturday Night Live do a Uncle Tom and the Blowfish skit? <laughs> <laughs> well, because this is the '90s and people weren't people didn't yeah. have that kind of thought process. And that's the thing is so that and this is how it could be the case that at the same time that the prominent discussion 
of of race in the '90s was how how well things were going yeah. and how much progress everybody had made. Yeah, we were done the, with the racism. Bill Clinton. The Look, Bill Hootie sold 15 million albums. Yeah, and, and Hootie, Hootie and Wolf is part of it, right? Because at the same time that we're having this conversation about how much progress we've made, uh, at, that, at that same time, Bill Clinton is advocating in his State of the Union address for a national third strikes law. Uh, we know what the consequences of that are. Yep. Bill Clinton is gutting welfare yep. in a naked play to racist Democrats. And that and and so huge, for racist huge Democrats, increase in black incarceration as a result of his crime bill. Exactly right. And so as racist Democrats are voting for Bill Clinton to incarcerate and and ghettoize black people, they are buying Hootie and the Blowfish's Crack Review. Yep. So that's a little that's a little preview of the, the upcoming essay. He's, so yeah, what he's doing in country music now is what he was doing on sort of a national level, I would say, before that. Yeah, that's a good niche for him. He's basically the anti-Chuck D, I would say. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's the anti he's the anti a lot of things. And, uh, <laughs> anti music. And, and yeah, and and like I said, like it's not it's not worth shitting on. They and it wasn't the the only band. Is there was this whole like like pop music in the '90s was was uh, playing on this bullshit racial construct of progress and integration that wasn't real, uh, but that we all really needed to believe was real. And like I was in grade school and middle school then, and that's what we learned in grade school and middle school. And, and you had Hootie and the Blowfish, the Dave Matthews Band, which is a racially integrated band, uh, the Counting Crows, which had a vaguely black lead singer and Adam Duritz. And, and all of them are selling the lie of a post-racial America. Yep. So there is something really insidious in, in Darius Rucker's blackness and uh, and the way that his blackness was treated by the press and by fans and uh, and and more than anything by himself. So that's what the next essay is going to be. Outstanding. And uh, I should say, don't feel too bad about that being uh, your first record. Mine was uh, Slippery When Wet. So uh, that's not exactly how much better. Um, uh, yeah, you, you, there's no reason to be proud of it. I mean, <laughs> no. there, but there's no reason to be proud of anybody's first record. Everybody's first record. Fucking well, Andy's was probably pretty good. I'm guessing. What was the first record you ever bought, Andy? Um, uh, the first one that I actually like went to a store and bought it would have been a Kiss record. But I'd gotten Kiss records as gifts before then. <laughs> before Kiss, I had forty. I had forty fives. The earliest forty fives I remember playing a lot between age and two and four were. Another one bites the dust. Flash Gordon, uh, hot blooded, and Revolution—the forty-five version. All right. Well, good for you. <laughs> well, Kiss. Hey, you asked. Kiss. Somebody asked. Kiss maybe. Sh- I asked. Kiss maybe should be embarrassing, but uh, for Andy, it isn't. No. Uh, no. <laughs> so <laughs> I have no shame. No shame. <laughs> yeah, I don't stand by fucking Hootie and Alanis. <laughs> So just uh, as an update uh, for last week's uh, Prague Roundabout, uh, this week I did listen to some Prague, and uh, I did listen to that uh, cinema show uh, by Genesis, and I have to say, that was fucking amazing. I mean, goddamn. Um, so now I'm, I'm very genuinely uh, Genesis curious as well. Um, I li- You're going to turn into a Phil Collins super fan before you <laughs> yeah, know it. I know. <laughs> It's going to be the irony. <laughs> Phil Collins is underappreciated. Hey, you don't have to tell me. Uh, like, as, as a drummer, he's fucking amazing. That's what he said. But, and uh, uh, I also listened to uh, Killer by uh, Vandergraaff Generator. And that one was way more properly proggy 
than uh, Plague of Lighthouse Keepers was. Uh, it did still have like that early 70s kind of kish sound, uh, and the sax was on there, and I, I did like it, but the seams were showing on that one. Um, it wasn't as good. Um, hey, I did you listen to more Van der Graaff Generator than I have now. At yeah, this there point, you so. go. <laughs> um, and I did listen to, of course, uh, In the Court of the Crimson King, uh, and as you said, Andy, that album beats all kinds of fucking ass. Um, so, uh, I, I would definitely say that I'm a King Crimson fan at this point. Um, and then I started, but didn't, uh, quite finish, uh, the Yes album. Um, but what I, uh, did listen to it, uh, I did like. Um, and, uh, so also this week, um, I listened to the entirety and wrote up a review of the double album, uh, which of, of course is, uh, Telestrion, Blazing in the Sky. And, uh, there's another... Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. That's another excuse to, uh, link to it in the description. Uh, so the first song, uh, is called, uh, Electric Ball. Um, I thought that was really fun and groovy. Um, you had the Gener voice going on that. Um, it's Wait. very Sabbathy. Um, and the guitars were like just rampant, um, all over the whole thing. And nice. the second song, uh, that was called the peak. And that has like a fucking engine block of rhythm, um, from like the very start of that. Um, and there were like really heavy and cool guitars on it. Um, but that the rhythm was the main thing on that, that track. I thought that was great. Um, Although I also um, want to say that I thought your vocal on that was really good. Um, there was some really nice weight to it on it. Um, well, thank you. And the third track, uh, Manifestations, uh, started out with some like really cool kind of distorted um, atonal guitar. And man, that song was like heavy as fuck. Um, some theremin in there too. And you used uh, like some uh, like an Aussie type of vocal. I would say on that. Oh yeah, total Sabbath yep. ripoff, um, yeah, for sure. And the guitars were like super crunchy and riffy. People, people like those sort of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and so do I. Yeah, the guitars were really crunchy and riffy, and this was like the the first track where I really noticed Rick Parnell, um, because he he was great on that track. Um, and I don't know the he's great on everything. Yeah, uh, he definitely gets mentioned a lot in this. Um, so your Stoltz. Was it you or Brian um, that played the solo that started at about 2.53? Which song is this? Uh, that would be uh, Manifestations. Oh, that's me. That's you? That was fucking awesome. That, right that was on. a scorching guitar solo. Um, and I, I think that might actually um, be my favorite track. Uh, maybe one other uh, that was on the uh, kind of uh, more instrumental vocal list uh, side would be the one that uh, right. might be my favorite. Um, uh. And as you could probably guess, uh, given that you know my taste, I did like the uh, acoustic intro and outro of uh, Oasis of Souls. Um, then once you guys did go electric, it was a pretty funky little track. Um, I could hear the ween in there, which was obviously a compliment. Um, yeah, total and, ween, masses of reality, ripoff. Yeah, and that like funky <laughs> little like main guitar riff, uh, yeah. Was that you or was that Brian? Oh, that, that was bo that was both, both of us. Of that was something we kind of came up, and like a twin kind of guitar part that we came up to get with together to complement each other. 
yeah, that was really cool. Um, and Rick was great on that one again. Um, another great solo starting at about the four minute mark. Um, that would be, that was Brian. That, was Brian. that one. Yeah, that was good too. Um, paperclip, uh, that was a much more simple song than the other ones so far. Um, but it was also like a really tight, almost bluesy kind of metal beat. Um, with kind of like a great like driving sort of riff at the heart of it, and once again, Rick Parnell, it's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a recurring theme. Uh, and the title track that had a really awesome intro and kicked into like a really great like stony metal guitar riff, uh, another Sabbath inspired vocal, and you guys really let Parnell out to play on that one. Um, and oh yeah that was uh, we've been trying to uh work that song out for a long time actually and uh we played it for him once and he just went into like that galloping kind of beat and uh and um yeah it was it was perfect yeah that was great um and uh awesome guitars through the entire song um and i'm not really sure what it was at at, at the back end of the track on the vocal was that like triple tracked and kind of like a little bit like off um, timing wise, or w- what exactly did you do to get that vocal? Because it sounded super cool. I think that's one of the ones where we we ran the vocal out through an old seventies uh, uh, outboard studio unit, mm-hmm. and I can't I'm totally draw a blank on what it was. There's pictures of it somewhere, but it it it's yeah, it's kind of like a uh, a phaser. Uh, flanger kind of type effect thing, and uh, so yeah, it kind of makes it sound a little off, and also like thickens it up. Yep. Yeah, it was cool. And uh, then uh, the like the last thirty seconds of that track, you had like dueling guitar solos, um, and that was that was fun. Uh, and then you guys used uh, like the sound of a chopper engine at the start of Nothing Left. Um, no, that's uh that's Brian's brother's um race car. Oh, that was a race car. Oh, okay. Yeah, after um, after uh, after Brian's brother passed, they had to move all his cars, and Brian went down and got some uh, audio recording of them starting it up because he wanted to uh, put it on the album. Yeah, and that was entirely appropriate because that was like just a really like short, fast, um, and kind of filthy uh, metal song um, that I'm sure was just super fun to play um in fact whoever was playing lead on that i'm sure was having a really good time that was one we where we uh we took turns yeah there you go (laughs) and i'm sure you both had a lot of fun (laughs) (laughs) uh out of the hills that was like a nice like horror metal um kind of song uh with distorted vocals uh distorted guitars um very sabbath um very cool uh a Storm is Coming, that was basically like a, a dirty riff, uh, like a very tight rhythm section, um, and some kind of like doomy vocals um, that just kind of built up um, as it went along. And uh, again, I have to compliment you, because um, I thought your lyric was really good on that one. Um, That's Brian's. That was Brian? Okay, well, yeah. compliment Brian on that one. Uh, <laughs> I ain't got time for time, um, and the uh, I ain't got time for time reprise. Um, that was a pretty funky riff. Uh, Parnell was tight as hell um, on the rhythm, and uh, I liked the really spacey kind of freak out at about the two forty five mark on the the first track. And I guess 
for the reprise, you guys just weren't quite done with that riff. Um, and everything, everything from the reprise on is, is improv. Now for that, where we were like, okay, we're going to just play this riff and see what happens. So that was basically from a different, uh, take where we were just like stretching it out and playing it for as long as we could. And, uh, then everything after that on the album is all, uh, straight improv. Really? That's impressive. That's very yeah. impressive. Um, yeah. and you got on, on the reprise, you, there was, uh, some cool studio trickery, um, and some really nice distorted guitar on that. I wanted to say, um, oh yeah, we definitely went back and, and did our studio trickery with the uh, improvs, but they were yeah. improvved. Yeah, yeah, we made up on the spot. And what's not on? Um, that was kind of like a psychedelic freakout. Um, it was super cool. I'm sure that was really fun to record, especially now that you tell me that that was improv. Um, <laughs> and after that, there was another long instrumental. Uh, with you on the Mtron and the synthesizer, um, yeah. Brian on lap steel and a theremin running through an uh, arpenoid, and you had yeah. a guest guitarist and additional percussion. Yeah, yeah, and that was a fun one. Yeah, there's, there's video footage of that one. Cool, cool. I might want to see that. Um, and that was uh, definitely more of an experimental song. Uh, in fact, e- even almost proggy. Would you say? Sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, continuing with the long instrumental theme, uh, there's the 15-minute-long track, uh, Midnight Never Ends. Um, <laughs> the song never ends? Yeah. <laughs> but there was some great guitar on that, and I think that was the track that uh, Rick Parnell shown the most on. Um, his playing was super funky and great on that. Um and that's it. That's the other contender for my favorite song uh, on the album. That was the very last thing that we recorded. Oh, that was very good. And yeah. after after that, we were like, "We're done. We can't. We can't do any better than that. We're done." And wouldn't you guess? After that, there was another long instrumental. Uh, well, that was the whole. That's the whole concept. Is the is album one is right. the first yeah, ten yeah, yeah, tracks, yeah. and that's the songs. More Sabbath kind of stuff. Metal, yeah. Right. Yeah. Album two is all the the improv jams because yeah. uh, we like the last album had three songs and three jams. So this one I just kind of want to separate it because yeah. uh, you know there's there's fans of both things that aren't necessarily fans. There's fans of each that aren't necessarily fans of both. So just trying to kind of appeal to the widest amount of yeah. And I, I like stoner rock fans. I liked both of them. Um, and the next one was called Law of Averages. Uh, that had some. The lore of averages is from Spinal Tap. That had really wild guitars on that. Um, and you were on the Mtron again a bit for that one. And uh, At the beginning, and then I switched, yeah. yeah. And we had another guy playing synth on that. Yeah. He was doing some crazy stuff. Yeah, he was, that guy was on synth on most of the tracks, wasn't he? At least the instrumental ones. Yeah, yeah, he was there for all the jam, most of the jams. Yeah. And uh, once again, another very strong uh, drum track from Rick Parnell. Um. So overall, uh, this was a really, really strong album, and I, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but I think that I would have dug it, um, even if you weren't uh, my friend and my co-host. Um, so hopefully that gives anyone listening uh, a push to visit your Bandcamp again. Link in the description. Uh, it's on it Bandcamp. Out. You can so you can download like high res audio if that's your preference. CD quality, I guess, not really high res. Um, we do have, we'll have CDs like in another week and vinyl probably in another month. Uh, but it is on YouTube, either the whole thing or 
per track. So I mean, you can, don't, you can listen to it for free. Just listen to it. Check it out. Or you can listen to it on Bandcamp. Um, YouTube is higher audio quality than Bandcamp streaming. Is it? Huh. I guess I should have listened unless to you it pay, on YouTube. Unless you're, <laughs> unless you're paying. Well, I, I mean, it's not a huge, huge difference, but there, YouTube is a little bit better. All right. So uh, we have a return after uh, – it's been almost a month, I think, since we've done this. Um, I don't. you think we should delay for, for one more week since we're already like an hour 12? No, nah, it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, all right. This will just be another long episode. I do have a review, so all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you did, uh, you can finally, um, tell me how much you, uh, disliked the good and the bad and the queen. I, I'm not going to tell you that I disliked it that much. I mean, actually when it, when I first put it on, I was like, oh, I think this is going to be something I, I really dig. I liked the, the sounds of it. I liked the production of it. Um, I liked hearing Damon kind of with his gorillas style voice, but over like more natural music mm-hmm. and, um, I, I I like the first half of the album, um, although it never really t- took off for me. I was kind of like ho- I kept hearing like, oh, I hope this is gonna like build and yeah, get bigger and yeah. kick in. That's a very and that's it a never bit, does. That's a very and, fair and, criticism and, of it. And, until the very last track, which was very well, frustrating. Well, that's, no, that's, I'm getting there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and, and I, as a note, I put it's like each song I'm waiting for it to kick in. And, and so I, I mean I get I get and I get that that they were like building to that last track, but the problem is that the second half of the album gets really boring. After um, behind, behold behind the sun, mm-hmm. I like it through behind the sun, and then like every track from behind the sun until the last track, I was like losing patience with quickly. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, so it's half a good album. And then the last they, track, you know, Jesus Christ. Oh, the last track, last track was great. Yeah. That's kind of like where it kind of kind of fulfills like okay, every track could have reached these uh-huh. heights. And I I get maybe wanting to save the build for the last track and there's some albums that uh that Cooler Shaker album I gave you Pilgrim's Progress, yeah. it yeah, kind of builds to that last track, but it's got some peaks along the way too, yeah. like Modern Blues where it really kicks in. And this out al- this this album just never it just never takes off for me. I, I love a lot of the melodies. I, I mean, I love that that the second song, the fifties groove, mm-hmm. the kind of spacey mm-hmm. yeah, stuff. That's great. I love that. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff and a lot of good melodies, but it just never really took off for me. And the and I really just like the first half of it and the last. Song. Yeah, and it's crazy because you have like this great band. Obviously, you know the guitar player from the Smiths, the bass yeah. player from uh, um, the Clash, uh, like a yeah, good player, like a drummer who's great. Danger Mouse, uh, producing it, and then you don't like. I, I did, I did, hear, I did hear a little bit of that Clash white boy reggae in there. <laughs> yeah, there was a little the bit. There was a little bit. Uh, but then just a little taste of it. But then you don't let loose at all until the very last track. Uh, yeah, that, that, right. That it was very subdued. It doesn't make sense. I guess they might have. They might have been on like hydrocodone or something. Like <laughs> well, I, I think it might have been. Um, to be fair, it might have been because the concept was. Uh, uh, kind of that the the two thousands sucked sucked really bad, um, so it might have just been kind of because of that. Um, and who knows? So this is forever ago um, that you assigned me mine, uh, which was uh, Black Mountain um, in the future, an album that came out in two thousand and eight, and I wrote this uh, about a month ago. So um, there were a lot of crunchy guitars on it, um, and. They cycled through like a lot of different styles, um, which doesn't always work for everybody. 
Um, but they were really good at all of them. Um, and both singers were really good. Um, it was really great when they harmonized together. Um, and even though it's pretty heavy, there's some really good pop tunes underneath the heaviness a lot of the time. Not all of the time, but a lot of the time. Um, and I liked really all of it. Um, but especially I loved the very end of Tyrants. Um, Stay Free was just a ridiculously sick song. Um, Evil Ways. It, was Evil Ways, is that doom metal? Maybe I just don't understand no, what doom metal. No, is. it's too, it's too, it's too up tempo to be doom. Evil ways. Okay, you'll you'll have to give me some a, actual that's, doom. That's metal more of like a, like a a, a a a like a stoner rock take on Santana. I think. Um, I liked uh, Wild Wind a lot. Uh, that was kind of like that washed out um, when you're coming down um, kind of depression song. Yeah. And Bright Lights. That was like a fucking 17 minute long epic that. That's, that's a sweet. Yes, that cycles through like everything that they do really well, um, at some yeah, length. Yeah, pretty awesome. Um, and ends up getting really fucking heavy. Um, I've seen it. I saw them. They played that live when I saw them. Nice, nice. Um, and it was intense. Then Night Walks, that was a really good way, uh, good song to come down off of that song. Um, and yeah. Amber Weber delivered yet another great, uh, vocal on an album that was full of them from her. Um, I love her voice. Yeah, she's she, one of my favorite yeah, female vocalists. Um, so and she's got some side projects where she sings everything. Lightning Dust is a great band. It's a, it's a little lighter, uh, a little more acoustic, and she's the main I'd be vocalist. Fine with that. As you know, I'd yeah, be fine you dig with it. That. Um, so I would give that uh, about a four and a half out of five, um, and uh, it's another cool, I guess, somewhat stoner, uh, some somewhat metal. Not all of it's metal, um, but there is some metal on it. Um, and that you've turned me on to that I never would have known about otherwise. Um, so, well done. And, uh, well, thank you. Who do you have for me uh, this week? Okay, so I'm going to give you an album that I only discovered myself last week. Okay. And I'm going to give this to you because, A, it's fucking amazing, and, B, you're going to love it. <laughs> okay. Good reason. So it is an, it's a band called Unicorn. Have you ever heard of this band? I have not. They put out an album in 1974 called Blue Pine Trees, and they're a British band that played kind of American country rock, and the album was produced by David Gilmore, and he plays pedal steel on the whole thing. Okay, you're, I'm just warning you. I, I will definitely listen to it and listen to it with a, an open mind, but um, 70s country rock is one of my least favorite musical genres. So. I know, I know, I know, <laughs> but you're going you're gonna to love it. I know, but you're going to love okay. it. Okay. Right. You're gonna love it. Right. Uh, trust me, okay. because it's more it's it's more like a, a newer alt country type thing that you would like, but better than so kind of kind of like Ryan Adams, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Wilco, maybe. I don't know enough about. Uh, maybe, maybe, but but different. It's I don't know. It's from 1974. Okay. Right. David Gilmore it. is all over. David Gilmore produced it. They recorded it at Olympic Studios, so they had a big budget. It sounds fucking amazing. And I, I, I promise you're going to like All it. All right. We'll see. I'll, I'll send it to you. I got a good copy of it. So this week I am uh, assigning you uh, – it's an album by a band called Grizzly Bear. Uh, they kind of had a little indie rock moment. Uh, and uh, the album is called The Catamist. Um, I'll, uh, I'll send you the, the title if you don't quite get that because that's a weird name. Um, well, I just wrote it down C A T A M Y S T, but I'm guessing that's not <laughs> no, it. So, so. No, I'll send you the uh, the actual name. 
Um, oh no, I went C A T Y M Y S T. No, not even close. Uh, and <laughs> this is a, another in the kind of string of uh, like aughts um, indie bands that I've been recommending to you. I've definitely um, heard of them. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Absolutely. Um, but this one, this one actually shares uh, DNA um, with kind of the '60s and '70s kind of like psych- psychedelic. Um, chamber pop kind of bands um that both of us love okay, okay. um all right it's all right. not exactly like that um but it, it they were definitely heavily influenced by that um so i'll certainly uh be curious what you think about that all right all right 